I want to mention something to you that we don't often mention, but I think it's important for you to know. We have five elders as a part of this church, and one of the main ways that we can minister to you is by being available to you, and you're here on a Sunday, and we recognize this. Not everybody who walked in here is like free from all need and has it all together, and, and sometimes you need somebody to pray with you. We stay here, and, and God forbid that we're not the last people to shut this place down on a Sunday because we didn't take care of you. Am I right, fellow elders? And so if you need one of us, it would be a shame if you walked out of here today and didn't pull one or a couple of us inside and say, hey, can you pray with me? Can you talk to me about this? We're here to serve you. We're, we're, we're Christ under shepherds, and we take that seriously. And so um, please don't leave here without, if you need prayer or if you need someone to talk to, please don't leave without doing that. So today's a big day. And I have been looking forward to this day for quite a while. Um, in many ways, I feel like a big boy because I get to get up here and preach about Romans. And yet, in many ways, I feel like a very little kid because I'm like, I'm not sure up, I'm up for this. Um, I am so, can I just say it this way? I'm going to sound really old. I am so stoked to start Romans. I really am. I am just pumped up. Um, I told somebody this week, I'm going to get up there and just be like, you know, and like have so much that I want to say, and I'm just going to have to calm myself down just a little bit. My task this morning is pretty easy and simple in this way. I want to make a case this morning for why studying this book is so important. I want to make a case this morning for why this book is so important to us. I want us to see the big idea behind this book, because if we don't see the big idea of Romans, it's not going to make sense every week when we come together and we work through this. There is a big idea here, and I want us to see it clearly. And then thirdly, we're just going to get one verse into it, okay? And, and let, me, let me help you with this. It's not going to be just one verse every week, okay? So yeah, 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 just chill a little, okay? We're going to take a look at Paul. And we're going to see how this human author, under God's inspiration, the Holy Spirit's inspiration, how he refers to himself at the beginning of this letter, and, and how that is so important to us. But as we begin, many have called this book Paul's magnus opum, which, opus, which is just nothing more than, than just a Latin way of saying this is Paul's greatest work. Now, some of you might chafe at that and say, well, every letter that Paul wrote is equally inspired and it's equally as important, and I would agree wholeheartedly with you, but there is something about the book of Romans that stands out from all the other letters. There is something about this book, and many people have made comment on it. Martin Luther said this, if he had his way, every, every believer would know this book word by word verse by verse. He advocated for the memory, the memorizing of the book of Romans. He said this, it cannot be considered too much or too well. The more it is handled, the more delightful it becomes and the sweeter it tastes. And I hope that's the case for us as we go through it. John Calvin said this about the book, when one gains knowledge of this epistle, 
of this epistle right here, Romans, when one gains knowledge of this, the entrance is open to a hidden treasure of scriptures. And I agree with him. I came across this. There was a Swiss theologian who died in 1900 whose name was Frederick Godet. And he said this, and I, I can't verify it, but, but I think this is a pretty thought-provoking statement that he made before he died in 1900. Every movement of revival up to that point in human history, every movement of revival in the history of the church has been connected to, in some form or fashion, the teaching of the book of Romans. Now, if he's right, how cool would it be if God broke out some revival and I don't mean some cheesy revival that gets covered in the news. I'm talking about an intimate revival where God works in individual hearts and revives the fires of our salvation. Wouldn't that be really cool, church? I think we need it. One of the guys who I like to listen to a lot said this. He said this. He said, if I had my way, Every preacher in the world would preach the book of Romans to his congregation, and every believer would become well-versed in this monumental book. So I don't want to say that what we're doing now is more important than any other Sunday or what we've done for other Sundays, but what I do want to point out to you is this book, if we take it to heart, just like any other book of Scripture, will literally not just fill your mind full of knowledge, it will transform the way that you live. And I want to be clear this morning about preaching and the point of preaching and why we preach through books of the Bible. I think that's important as we begin a new book. Because you could mistakenly get the idea that, that we want you to come on a Sunday and just drink in all this knowledge like it was a college lecture, like it was a 401 class or something like that. I want to be clear with you this morning. I don't want you to be a smarter Christian. I want you to be a more devoted Christian. Now, is knowledge important? It is. Is doctrine important? Doctrine is important. But I want to just say to you, there are many people who are burning in the fires of hell right now whose doctrine was correct. Doctrine is important. Truth is important. But if truth doesn't get from up here to down here, if it doesn't transform the way that you live, it is useless. And so, as we begin in Romans... Don't approach this like, oh, I just can't wait to get all the deep nuances of biblical doctrine. Oh, there's plenty of them here. There, there are doctrines in this book that will make you go home and be like, how can that be true? And don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. But I want you to leave every Sunday with an awe of a great God who loved us enough that he wouldn't leave us in our own putrid self-righteousness, but that he would provide a way for us to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, let me give to you at the beginning, and this is something I just really don't like doing, it's been in all this time introductory. I'd like to like, get into to start preaching, but I think it's important that I make a case for why it's important we study Romans. Let me give you point number one, why it's important we study Romans. Well, it's a duh one, okay? Duh, it's God's word, <laughs> okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is profitable. Do you believe that, church? 
Is all scripture profitable? Then the book of Romans is profitable then. Okay? It's profitable for us. It is advantageous for us to to know what Romans says. It's advantageous to us to to understand what, what Paul is trying to say to the Roman church and how that applied to them and what that means for us today. It, the study of the book of Romans is, is to our advantage. Secondly, Romans will move you to maturity. Romans will absolutely move you to maturity. I came across this this week, and I thought this was really interesting. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews. Romans will move you to maturity. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, and the whole premise of the book of Hebrews is, he's writing to Jewish believers, and he's reminding them, Jesus is better than, than all this other stuff that you're being bombarded with. Like, they're being bar- bombarded with, you've got to still keep the law, you've still got to hold on to the traditions, you've got to keep doing this stuff. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 wait. Jesus is far superior, and let's understand something this morning. We're coming from the premise in this pulpit that Jesus is most superior, okay? Okay? And so because Jesus is far superior, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers, and he says this to them in chapter 5 and verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Ouch. Let's understand something, Christian. Some of you have been going to church all your life. Some of you have been believers for decades And you could be the person here in Hebrews chapter 5. You've become dull of hearing. It's all become an exercise of I just come, I listen, and, and, I, and I try to figure out if I learned something new today that I hadn't heard before, and I, and I judge whoever's in the pulpit by whether or not they really grab my attention or not. Folks, it's not up to me to grab your attention. It's God's Holy Spirit through His Word that wants to grab your heart's attention this morning. He says this, it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For through by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now keep going. He says this, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That phrase there, word of righteousness, you could boil it down to say this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the word of righteousness is i got good news for you. If you hang with me and hang with all of us who are going to be preaching up here, and if you really devote yourself to wanting to understand this, and, and, and you're open to have your heart being changed by the Holy Spirit, if you are a child of God, a study of Romans will move you to maturity because it is all about what the writer of Hebrews says here. It is all about righteousness. You're going to hear this over and over from this pulpit. In fact, just say it with me. Romans is about righteousness. Say it. What's it about, church? Yeah. This, this book is brimming full of righteousness. And it, and it goes this way. You see, Romans is an absolute treasure chest of riches that are centered on the righteousness that comes from God. 
It's also this. It is an absolute, full-out, 100% frontal assault on our self-righteousness. And and one of the things that we're going to find out is is that we all have a propensity to self-righteousness. Can I say this right at the beginning of our study of Romans? Those two things cannot exist in one person's heart together. You cannot have a mixture of self-righteousness and Christ-righteousness. Because if you do, it's going to damn you to hell. There's only one righteousness you can have, and it's Christ-righteousness. It's either one or the other. One will lead to glorification and an eternal life in the presence of God Almighty. The other will lead to eternal damnation of your soul. The thesis statement of Romans, and we finally get to Romans, is now found in Romans chapter 1. Under this idea of maturing in righteousness, the thesis statement for for Romans is found in chapter 1 and verse 16 and verse 17. Paul says this after he gets through the introduction. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, it's the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans is all about what? Romans is all about righteousness. As we as we go through this, and as we go through this doctrine that's so rich and so deep, we're going to find out that God requires righteousness because of sin. And what we're going to find out is, is that every single one of us, if you don't realize this, every single one of us has a big battle with sin. We're going to find out that God requires righteousness because of sin. We're going to find out that God reveals righteousness in a glorious salvation. We're going to find out that righteousness is realized in our sanctification. We're going to find out that righteousness is retained in our glorification. We're going to see a huge example later on in this book of righteousness that has been rejected by Israel. And we're going to find out what God's plan is in terms of righteousness for Israel. And we're also going to see how we reproduce righteousness in the way that we serve one another. So, first, why study Romans? Because it's God's word and it's profitable. Secondly, because Romans is going to move us to maturity. It's going to move us to maturity. It's my prayer. It's my prayer that by the time we are done in the book of Romans, you won't be in the same place that you are right now in your Christian life. Thirdly, Romans absolutely speaks directly to the world that we live in. How many of you think our world is a pretty wretched place? Romans tells us why. Romans tells us exactly why the the world is the way that it is today. It's a sin-cursed world. It is a sin-sick world. And the only hope for our world, for our culture, for our nation, for the community of Johnstown, the only hope is found in the book of Romans. It's not found in in whoever serves in public service. It's not found in new laws or new platforms. It's not found in, in moral reform. It is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. That is your only hope. 
You see, Romans gives to us the need for the gospel. It gives to us the provision of the gospel. <laughs> it gives us how we grow in the gospel. It gives us something that some of us struggle with. It gives us God's sovereignty over the gospel. And it also shares with us how we live together in the gospel. This is a gospel-centered book. And Paul intended it to be that way, which leads me to the fourth and final reason why we need to study Romans. Because you and I absolutely need it. JIBC needs the gospel. You know what JIBC doesn't need? It doesn't need more self-righteousness. We're good at that. We need the gospel. We absolutely need it in its purest form. We need it punched in our face every week. Yes, we need it punched in our face. You see, we need these words. I need these words. You need these words. We need them more than we need bread. We need it more than we need our Sunday dinner, which we're all looking forward to. We need less of ourselves and more of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see... We need to be daily humbled by the gospel rather than being puffed up by a man-centered gospel. We need to know and utilize the gospel in our daily battle with sin. Anybody else battle with sin here? Have you figured out that your own righteousness will not defeat sin? We need the gospel. Because the battle with sin is every day, it's every minute, it's every hour, it's relentless. And if we're trying to fight it in our own strength, with our own righteousness, we are woefully losing. And we show up here on Sundays and we put on our shiny plastic faces and we fake it when all of us know how hard the battle is. Am I right, church? Romans cuts through all the masks. It absolutely cuts through the masks if we'll let it do it. Because the right understanding of Romans understands this. The person that's sitting on your left and the person that's sitting on your right, the person that's sitting in the back, the person that's sitting in the front, they battle the same battle that you fail, or that you, that you fail at and that you fight. A little slip there, but I was right, wasn't I? <laughs> I fail at it too. And we need the book of Romans. We need to know that there is ultimate triumph in the gospel, which means that those in Christ can and never will be separated from the love of Christ. And I got good news for you. Romans tells us that. We absolutely need the book of Romans. So let's go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to get no further than talking about the writer. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a servant. The author here is clearly identified as Paul. I am not going to go into a 15-minute explanation as to why this is truly Paul. It says it right here in the Word, either you're going to believe it or not. And let me just point out to you that there are so-called theologians today who are just theological eggheads who want to say that Paul did not write this book. They are dead wrong. Paul is the author. Paul's name means little one. Means little one. He was formerly known as what? Saul. 
You know what? It was an honor to be named after Saul because actually Paul was from the same tribe as Saul. He was a Benjamite. It was an honor to be named after Saul. Saul's the first king of Israel. Yeah, we kind of forget that he screwed things up, but he was the first king after all, right? It was an honor to be named after him. And I find it really interesting the juxtaposition between these two men who were named Saul. Saul started out, King Saul started out really well, didn't he? He started out gangbusters. I mean, he was good looking. He had it all together. He had all the credentials to be king. He, he really had it all together. He started out well, but he didn't finish very well, did he? Saul, little Saul, Pharisee Saul, he started out pretty wretched, didn't he? I mean, this guy chased Christians right out of, right out of Israel. I mean, he, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, he's breathing out threats against Christ's church, and he's literally pursuing them like a rabid dog. He's so incensed. And he's big in the world's eyes, and he starts out really bad, but he ends up pretty good, doesn't he? He ends up pretty good. He ends up dying a faithful servant of Christ and his church. This book is probably written from the city of Corinth, probably on his third missionary journey, probably around 56 AD, for those of you who like a little church history. This was not a church that Paul was familiar with. He'd never been to Rome. He didn't know a lot of the people in the church. He knew some of the people in the church, but he'd never been there. He didn't plant the church. He literally is writing this letter to introduce himself, and he's basically making his statement of faith to this church as to why they can trust him as an apostle of Jesus Christ, because he wants to come there eventually and be served by them and serve them. It's a letter of introduction. <laughs> this is unlike any other letter of introduction that you and I have ever read. <laughs> Notice the way that he refers to himself here. Three ways that Paul refers to himself. First, first Paul a servant. Greek guys, doulos. <laughs> One who gave himself up completely to another's will. This isn't a guy who was subjected to slavery. A doulos was somebody who willingly gave themselves up to be somebody's slave. Think about it. To do that, to willingly give yourself up, there's got to be some devotion there, doesn't there? Now, I'll serve many of you, and I'll serve you in many ways, but, but I can just guarantee there's certain things I'm not doing for you. If I'll do them for anybody, it'll probably be my wife. Here's a guy who says this. I once was the slave of sin, as all unbelievers are, and now I refer to myself as chiefly the bond slave, the doulos of Christ Jesus. And the only way he can say that is because of the message that's in the book of this, the book of Romans. So let me give you a warning. Be careful. You take the words of Romans to heart, it'll change the way you look at yourself. It'll absolutely change the way you look at yourself. In a world that's screaming at us, think really big about yourself. Think you're really important. Romans screams to us from verse 1. 
Child of God, you're nothing but the slave of Jesus Christ, and that's okay. And that's okay. Does the idea of being a slave bother you? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Because Christ is a gracious master. (laughs) Now, if you thought about being a slave to just a person, that should bother you. But, but here Paul says, I am the bond slave of Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And it's not cruel to be a slave to a master who laid down his life for you, <laughs> who, who has shined his love into your heart so that you can freely love others through his grace. That's who this person is. But let's understand something here. Maybe you're not the child of God, and maybe you're resistant to the idea of being the slave of Jesus. Maybe you're resistant to the idea of, and and this happens. I I don't want to become a Christian because Christians, they have to start doing Christian things, right? Like, they live the most boring lives ever to be a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. Let's understand something. You're either the slave of Christ or you're the slave of sin. And sin is a horrible taskmaster. Sin wins every time. Sin will absolutely be ruthless and it will absolutely in the end destroy you. That's not what Christ is as a taskmaster. He's a kind and gracious master. And if you serve him, it leads to life, life eternal. (laughs) It leads you to being able to live to the praise of his glory as we sang about. So Paul first calls himself a bond slave. Then he says this, and our English gets it wrong quite honestly. I know it's hard to believe. The English is wrong here? Yes, the English is wrong here. Literally it should say there, a called apostle. A called apostle. An apostle is one literally who is sent forth with orders. Now specifically here, it was a man who was officially commissioned by Christ himself and placed in Christ's service. And that's true of Paul. Paul refers to himself as an apostle several times at the beginning of his letters. In 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he starts it this way, I am called an apostle by the will of God. This isn't something that that Paul was out looking to do. It wasn't like, hey, I'm a Pharisee, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I studied under Gamaliel, and you know what, I think I'm just going to add to my resume, I think I want to be called an apostle now. No, one simply doesn't just choose to be an apostle, they are called to be an apostle. In 1 Timothy 1, he says this way, by the command of God, like literally I had no choice. What's interesting is that this word called is repeated several times in the first, first few verses here of Romans. You see it in, in verse 1 that Paul's called to be an apostle. You see it down in verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Let's understand something here. You and I will never accomplish anything for God. We can't will ourselves into the kingdom. We first have to be called. 
We have to be called. And Paul here is saying, I'm called as an apostle, and I'm writing to those who have been called by God. Now, lest you get a big head here this morning, if you're here in the child of God, that ought to humble you that God would call you. Anybody worthy of being called? No. No. But God calls. He calls us. We know from Acts chapter 9 that Paul specifically did receive his commission from Jesus himself. <laughs> Jesus literally spoke to him on the road to Damascus. And he told, he told Ananias, the man who came and, and served him, he said this. In fact, let me read it to you from Acts chapter 9, what he says about what's going to happen with Paul, or Saul who becomes Paul. He says this to Ananias, the man who he sends to go minister to Paul. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Specifically commissioned by Christ himself, called into his service. So, if we just take these first two names, this letter is written by somebody who saw himself as the slave of Christ but with all apostolic authority. All apostolic authority. And, and, and let's understand something. If you and I were sitting in First Community Church of Rome in, in, in AD 60-something or 56, and when this letter showed up at our church, it would grab our attention right off the bat that here is somebody writing with apostolic authority to us. We better sit up and pay attention here. And so, as you and I are going through the book of Romans, let's understand something. Paul wrote this as an apostolic messenger of Jesus Christ under direct Holy Spirit inspiration so that you and I, by God's grace, could have it in our laps or on our cell phones today. God wants to speak to us through his servant Paul today in 2024 because he doesn't want us to be the same as we are right now. Isn't that awesome? Thirdly, he calls himself set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. You see, when God calls, he always does it for a purpose. He called him so that he could use him somewhere. The same is true for you and I. If you've been called by God, it's for a purpose. He has a, he has a use for you. He has a use for me. But what's interesting here, it's a clever play on words. It's a clever play on words. Paul was a former Pharisee. The idea of Pharisee meant that, that the Pharisees, they referred to themselves as the ones who were set apart from the lesser Gentiles and Jews, and we are the law keepers. We are the ones who produce righteousness by our good deeds. That's what it meant to be a Pharisee after all, right? Some of you know what that's like. You have little Pharisees in your own hearts. I know that because I have them too. Paul is saying this. God called me out of that. I don't need to produce righteousness anymore. Jesus is enough. Jesus is all my righteousness. And I don't have to be... I don't have to be a Pharisee anymore. And let's understand something. That's what the gospel does. It frees us from having to perform... 
And if you're here this morning thinking you have to perform for God, you're not thinking right. You can't perform for God. Christ performed all that needed to be done. You just have to receive it by faith. And what Paul is saying here is, yeah, I reject all that to be the apostle and to be the one who is set apart for the gospel. It frees us from so much. It frees us from having to face the wrath of God, right? Isn't that what the gospel does? But it also frees us from having to produce something that we can't do. And there's nothing more frustrating than living your life trying to do something that you know you can't achieve. So Romans is all about what, church? Oh, come on, you can do better. Romans is all about what? Yeah. It is. It's all about righteousness. We can't produce it. God imputes it to us. He puts it to our account. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, this sounds like this is only, this book of the Bible is only for, for believers. Stop. If you're here today and, and maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you've never heard some of this stuff before, can I just encourage you to, to hang with us and continue to come? Because what Romans will do, if you continue to listen to it, if you continue to take it in and internalize it, what Romans will do, it will make an ironclad case for you to reject your own self-righteousness and to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It will do it. It will make an ironclad case. But followers of Jesus here this morning, can I talk to you for a second? We've already been one verse into the, into the book of Romans, and we've been confronted with some stuff. You and I may not be apostles called the same way, and not matter of may. We're not, okay? If you think you're an apostle this morning, no, you're not. You're not a big A apostle. You're maybe a little A apostle, okay? But here's the thing. If you're the child of God, you've been commissioned with the same message that, that, that Paul was commissioned with. Pastor Andy pointed that out to us a couple weeks ago, didn't he? We've all received that commission. We've all been commissioned to be the ambassador of Christ. And so, you know what? Like Paul, you are a sent one. Just not a big A sent one, a little A sent one. You're also no longer the slave of sin. Which means this. You're freed from the control of sin. Now, it doesn't mean that sin doesn't have a pull on you because everybody sitting here knows the power of temptation, right? But you're freed from the domination of sin so that you can lovingly, willingly serve Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? In the same way that Paul calls himself a doulos, that's all that we are. We're just doulosses. We're just bond slaves. And here's the thing, I'm praying that by God's grace, by the time some 49 or 50 messages, yeah, I've planned that far in advance, some 49 or 50 messages later, when we get to the end of this book, 
that you will be more mature in Christ. Not big-headed, not prideful. In fact, the more mature you are, the more humble you become, by the way. And by the end of Romans, I'm praying that JIBC will have a much more God-reliance than we ever had when we began. I'm praying that we'll stop relying on ourselves and our own goodness, our own, you know, the things that we, that we value so highly like church attendance and, and I'm a part of this Bible study and I do this and, and I read my Bible. No, just reject it all if you're trying to earn God's favor to understand this. I can't be good enough. Christ was perfect. That's my heart's prayer. That's my heart's desire. So welcome to Romans. Welcome to Romans. Do yourself a favor. Next week, we're going to preach through verses 2 through 7. It'll benefit you most. Hey, hey, stop packing up. (laughs) Really, stop. Just because I pick up my notebook doesn't mean it's like, okay. Do yourself a favor. Saturday night, next week, this coming Saturday, pick up your Bible, turn off, the, turn off the TV, turn your phone off, pick up your Bible, and read Romans 1, 2 through 7. I guarantee you, you will be engaged when you show up here on Sunday morning. Try me. Anybody willing to take me, put me to the test on that? Try me. Pick up your Bible, read Romans 1, 2 through 7 next Saturday night. God, thank you that we are freed from the prison of having to produce our own righteousness. Thank you for the book of Romans. And Lord, as we begin our study in the book of Romans, don't just make us more knowledgeable. Make us more in love with you. Make us better bond slaves that that are so in love with you that we desire to serve you with all our being. Lord, help us to see that we have been called to a glorious calling and that we have been commissioned with the greatest message that's ever been given, the message of the gospel, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.